Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chapter 12 of Grace Harlow's Golden Summer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12. The Better Part. Although Grace had so sturdily asserted her claim on happiness, nevertheless she quailed secretly before the ordeal of writing to her friends regarding the change in her plans. Long she pondered before committing the gloomy information to paper. More than one anguished tear fell from her eyes as she relentlessly pursued her difficult task. Not so very long ago she had fondly dreamed of the time when she should happily send to those she loved the summons to come to her on her wedding day. But the pile of envelopes which eventually found their way to the nearest mailbox contained news of a vastly different character. True to her promise, she had conscientiously waited for the word of Mr. Blaisdell, which Mrs. Gray had anticipated. At the end of three days of suspense she had sought her fairy godmother only to meet with a letter from the investigator which sent hope to the winds. In it he stated that aside from the station master at the lonely little railway station he had encountered no one who recalled seeing a young man of the description of Tom Gray. He had learned from the former that Tom had halted him to inquire the way to the camp and to ascertain if he could obtain any means of conveyance on that day. As it was then four o'clock in the afternoon and no one from the camp had met the train, the station-master had warned him that a storm was coming and advised him to wait over until the following morning, offering Tom the hospitality of his own home. The young man had politely declined his offer, saying that he must reach the camp that night and would walk. He had said good-bye and swung off toward the dense growth of forest that rose behind the straggling hamlet, and nothing further had been seen or heard of him. Further inquiry at the camp, which Mr. Blaisdell had experienced considerable difficulty in reaching, had developed the alarming news that no such person as Tom Gray had been seen in that vicinity. He had gleaned, however, that the station-master's prediction of bad weather had been verified and that a particularly heavy windstorm had swept that region early in the evening of the day on which he had walked with the young man. Torrents of rain had fallen and trees had been broken down and uprooted. It was possible that Tom had lost his way and been killed by a falling tree. Blaisdell did not believe this, however as neither a dead nor injured man had been found by the various search parties of lumbermen who had been sent out to cover the surrounding territory. So far as possible the search had been conducted with the utmost secrecy. He had not divulged Tom's name. 
As the camp was in an out-of-the-way place, peopled by a taciturn set of men who asked few questions, it was not likely that any news would travel further than its limits. The day following the receipt of this letter brought a telegraphic notification from David Nesbit to the effect that he had reached the lumber camp and was about to start on his search for his chum. With this small consolation, the patient, tortured souls who awaited news of their lost one were forced to be content. Hard as it had been to write to her rusty comrades, it was infinitely harder for Grace to receive the messages of sympathy and love which poured in upon her. Yet on the heels of her distress came one letter which, despite the gravity of her present situation, moved Grace to half-hearted laughter. On opening an envelope addressed to herself in Arlene Thayer's unmistakable script, Grace was mildly astonished to read, Dear Stanley, After our talk last evening, I am quite certain that I can never be happy as your wife. It has shown me clearly that our aims and viewpoints are so entirely different that it would be useless even to dream of spending the remainder of our lives together. It is hard to write this, but I feel that no matter what it may cost me, I must be true to myself. I am therefore returning your ring and letters by express. You may do as you think best in regard to returning the letters I have written you. With a sincere wish for your future happiness, yours sincerely, Arlene Thayer. Tardily realising that she had unwittingly pursued a communication not intended for her eyes, Grace lost no time in writing an apologetic letter to Arlene, in which she enclosed the fateful missive of rejection. How Arlene had come to mail it to her was a matter for speculation, but she had only set eyes on the beginning of drama, as she was soon destined to learn. Late the next afternoon, while seated on the front veranda with her mother, she viewed with mingled emotions a taxicab which had come to stop before the house. Out of it stepped a small golden-haired young woman whose smart pongee travelling coat and bulging leather bag proclaimed that she had come from afar. Arlene Thayer! cried Grace, running down the steps to meet the newcomer as she passed through the gateway. Why, Daffy Down Dilly, this is a surprise! You were the last person I had dreamed of seeing. Grace caught the dainty little girl in a warm embrace. I know I should have telegraphed you, apologised Arlene. But, well, I didn't. I made up my mind all in an instant to come to you, and here I am. Ever since I received your letter, you've been constantly in my thoughts. I replied at once. Of course you received it. Let me take your luggage, Daffy Downdilly. Grace evaded Arlene's implied interrogation for the moment. Come and pay your respects to mother, then we'll go upstairs to your room and you can rest a little before dinner. You must be very tired after your long ride. Then too we can exchange confidences. I have something to say to you about the letter you just mentioned. Grace could not refrain from smiling a little. She suspected that Arline had made a mistake, the precise result of which was yet to be revealed. What is the matter, Grace? was Arline's quick question. She had instantly detected the unusual in her friend's enigmatic smile and evasive speech. Their progress to the veranda where Mrs. Harlow waited to greet the unexpected but heartily welcome arrival prevented Grace's reply. It was not until Arlene had been ushered into one of the large airy upper chambers, which Grace took so much pleasure in reserving for the use of her frequent guests, that the former again repeated her question in tones of deepening anxiety. 
I will tell you when you have made yourself comfortable, stipulated Grace. Assisting Arline in removing her hat and coat, she applied herself assiduously to the comfort of her friend. You are a truly ideal hostess, Grace, was Arline's tribute as she finally settled herself in a deep willow chair. Now I am ready to hear what you have been keeping from me. You asked me if I had received your letter, began Grace, as she dropped into a nearby chair. Yesterday morning I did receive a letter you wrote, but it was not for me. The envelope was addressed to me, but the letter, I read it before I realized that I hadn't that right, was written to Mr. Stanley Ford. I wrote you an apology, enclosed the other letter with it, and mailed them to you. Oh! Arline gave a horrified gasp. How perfectly dreadful! How in the world did I happen to make such a mistake? This is awful! Then you wrote to me at the same time and confused the two letters. I was afraid of that. But it doesn't matter to me if it doesn't to you. Grace tried to put on an air of kindly unconcern. Secretly it saddened her a trifle to know that a stranger had received even an inkling of her private affairs. Undoubtedly Arline's letter to herself had contained an expression of sympathy which could not fail to put Mr. Stanley Ford in possession of certain painful facts relating to her own trouble. "'But it matters a great deal,' exclaimed Arline, flushing deeply. "'In that letter to you, I said that I could never be thankful enough that I had had such a wonderful talk with you. I said, too, that you had made me see things in a different light, and that I knew now—' that what I had believed was love wasn't love at all. Worse still, I said that if it had not been for you, I would never have had the courage to break my engagement, but would have failed to be true to myself. Now Stanley has that letter. Arline made a despairing gesture. I don't care what he thinks about me, but what will he think about you? Grace was not prepared to answer this pertinent question from the jilted Stanley's viewpoint. Personally, she had a disagreeably clear idea of what he was quite likely to think. Yet she was too sturdily honest by nature to regret the advice she had given Arline in good faith. I am sorry that this has happened, she returned slowly. But I am not sorry for what I said to you. I meant it. I would have said as much to Mr. Ford had an occasion risen which demanded plain speaking. You are loyal heart through and through, came impulsively from Arline. You would stand by your colours to the death. I couldn't blame you if you were terribly angry with me for mixing you up so miserably in my affairs. I should have been more careful, but I was dreadfully upset when I wrote those letters. You see, Stanley came to my home on the evening of the day he returned from Oregon. As you know, I had decided to have a plain talk with him. It began pleasantly enough, but before it ended we were both very angry. He declared point-blank that after we were married I would positively have to give up my settlement work. He said a great many hateful, sneering things about the poor people I've been trying to help. I was going to give him back his ring then, but I remembered what you advised about not being too hasty. So I told him I wouldn't discuss the subject with him any more that evening. After that he was very pleasant. I suppose he thought he'd won me over to his point of view. When he had gone I sat for a long time in the veranda thinking hard. Then I went upstairs to my room and wrote him breaking our engagement. Of course I cried a little. I was so unhappy. Then I thought of you and felt like writing you about it. After I had written both letters, I read them over, first the one to him, then yours. It was after midnight, and I was so tired. I suppose that is how I happened to make the mistake of putting your address on his letter, and vice versa. He will be simply furious. 
I only hope that he doesn't write you a hateful letter. If he writes to me, I'll send the letter back unopened. You'd better do the same. No, I couldn't do that. It is perfectly proper for you to do so, but it would appear cowardly on my part. Let us hope he doesn't bother to write me. Does he know my surname and where I live? Yes, I've told him of you a great many times. I wish now that I hadn't. I'm sure he will write you. It's a shame. I came to Oakdale to comfort you and be comforted. Now I've landed both of us in a nice muddle. Arline lifted a pair of mournful blue eyes to Grace. In the presence of impending tragedy, a sudden sense of the ridiculous swept the two girls. Their eyes meeting, they began to laugh. It was the first genuine mirth that had stirred Grace Harlowe since the day on which she had left the Briggs's cottage to return to Oakdale. One ought not laugh over such a serious matter, apologized Arline with a half-hysterical chuckle. I can't help thinking how surprised you must have been to receive that letter to Stanley and how wrathful he must be by this time. I'd rather laugh over it than cry, smiled Grace. Don't worry, Daffy Down Dilly. I'm not afraid of any letter that Mr. Stanley Ford may choose to send me. We'd better write him another letter at once, though, and explain matters. You owe him that, at least. I will, sighed Arline. There's just one thing more I have to say. I shall never, never fall in love again. It's fatal to one's peace of mind. Now that I've fallen out of love, I feel about a hundred years younger. I'm going to be a nice, kind spinster and found a home for poor children. Grace smiled at this naive announcement. She was unselfishly glad that Arline could thus lightly cast her burden from her dainty shoulders. Perhaps she too would have known greater content had love not entered her heart. Yet in the same instant she put away the thought as unworthy of herself. Come what might, she was intensely sure that she had chosen the better part. End of section 12